I had the privilege of learning the blues from some legendary musicians. I was one of the few white musicians playing blues back in the 60s, and I want to share some of those stories with you. The 60s and 70s were divisive times, but the blues connected us and always brought us together. I'm Billy Pruitt. Let's talk a blues streak. It was the hot summer of 69. Woodstock was happening, a man walked on the moon, and I was excited getting ready to record my first album. But this story is not about my first blues album, and it's not about me. It's about how much I learned from the legendary Donny Hathaway, who became my teacher, a mentor, and my friend, and two other blues legends who surrounded me in the recording studio, Sam Lay and Phil Upchurch. It was a dream come true. I felt like they protected me and didn't make me feel alone. They surrounded me by their greatness like the warm sun on a cold afternoon. My close friend, bandmate, and travel companion was the legend Sam Lay, who played on the first Butterfield album that put blues on the map, on the radio. The first time white music fans in America were introduced to blues, making them quickly become blues fans, and I was included. I was snagged. That's when I caught the blues bug. That album changed my life again, as it did so many listeners, and is the only reason I moved to Chicago, to try to follow the same path. Sammy invented the Sam Lay double shuffle that he discovered by accident. A distinctive drum beat based on the double time hand clapping and tambourine beats he would hear as a child in the Pentecostal church down south in Birmingham, Alabama. Sam had a memorable fashion flair, a sense that made him unmistakably unique. I, I remember once picking him up for a gig and spotting him quickly from almost a block away, standing in front of his house at Roosevelt and Laramie, donning a cape, sparkly shoes, and a matching cane he called his walking stick. That was the same outfit that his proud daughter Debbie buried him in. She sent him home in a clear plexiglass coffin surrounded by huge pictures of his life's achievements. Whew, what, a, what a surreal scene. He tracked the drum tracks for Dylan on Highway 61, as well as Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Lightning Hopkins, and so many more. He was the last living link between the past and the present that had shaped blues having been inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. His album cover said it all, an abstract painting of Sam sitting at his drum kit at dusk under a sky of sparkling stars, and the title read, The Sam Lay Blues Band in Blues Land. <laughs> I still have his very first business card with his actual home address of the housing complex he lived in on the west side of Chicago, including his exact apartment number on it. <laughs> My buddy, the great Phil Upchurch, was on bass. I remember from my high school days when his hit, You Can't Sit Down, was blaring out of all the AM radios at the local drive-in restaurants with the car hops moving to the groove as they brought your hamburger on the trays that attached to the driver's side windows.
That record sold over a million copies. Quite a feat in 1961. He was a great guitar player, too. Phil played with Curtis Mayfield, The Dells, Jimmy Reed, and Otis Rush. I met him through Donnie Hathaway when Phil was working with Ramsey Lewis and Quincy Jones. He was another heavy hitter, and it was such an honor to have him join my recording band and put his name on the liner notes. He had a unique sense of humor, and I remember in the studio during one session when everybody was acting silly from repetition, sort of punch drunk, and I noticed in the middle of a long jam, Phil had a big book of sheet music open, and it was upside down on his music stand because he didn't have to read anything. While we were playing, I noticed it and looked confused. He just winked at me. What an honor to be around such pros and to be included in their backstage humor. It made me feel happy so I could play my best. And of course, I wanted my friend Donny Hathaway to join us making this album. He was also known as a bona fide session man called Donny Pitts. And we both hit it off right away, maybe because he had the same birth year in common with Bob Marley and John Primer and myself. 1945. Hmm. Thinking back just before I moved to Chicago, back in Florida after Otis Redding made me a true blues believer, I used to walk across the street and reminisce sitting on the steps of that backstage door where I met him and visualized myself making records in Chicago. I realized that if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. You're correct either way. So I was definitely going to do this and try my luck in Chicago. Donnie was born in Chicago, and the Paul Butterfield debut song, Born in Chicago, could have been written about him. Donnie, Phil, and my bandmate Sam Lay and I were excited to get into the studio and record on the newest state-of-the-art magnetic tape machine a brand new state-of-the-art Scully 8-track. There was no such thing as a 16-track until it was introduced at the end of that year. My first time in a recording studio, and I was more than ready. We all were. Plugged in and tuned up, Sam was ready to slam, and we were all ready to jam. The cards were on the table, and the deck was stacked with my first blues tracks. The engineer hit the switch to get our attention. Quiet, please. It's June 22nd, 1969. This is Take One, Billy Pruitt recording. The first tracks of So Many Barriers with Donnie Hathaway, Phil Upchurch, and Sam Lay. Whenever you guys are ready, start at your leisure. One, two, one, two. Thank you. 
Thinking back to that exciting moment, more than 50 years later, it's still etched in my mind. I used to jam with Donnie at his place, a little garden apartment, and I remember stepping down a few stairs to get inside, and there were a few windows toward the ceiling. It was a typical small Chicago one-bedroom apartment, and we always had to be a little bit quiet because there were other tenants in the building, but more importantly, his daughter was sleeping and going to be one year old soon. Donnie had the newest Wurlitzer electric piano set up in his small living room. I remember the color was forest green. That was long before the Fender Rhodes came out that quickly became the new standard of the industry years later. His Wurlitzer had this little speaker in front built in the painted fiberboard. It had a really funky sound. The same exact sound that Ray Charles used on What Did I Say in 59. When I heard that sound, I couldn't even figure out what the instrument was. But Donnie used it in his own way. It was the day before our first session downtown, so I brought my Gibson 335 to his apartment, and I just played it acoustically. His wife, Eulala, was a great cook, and before Donnie would come to open the door to their apartment, in his bathrobe, I would stand there holding my beat-up guitar case in the dark hallway and couldn't help but enjoy the thick aroma of mouth-watering southern fried food that was seeping out into the hallway. I knew I would always remember that rich fragrance and think, Hmm, this is the real deal. She would always offer to share. I first met Donnie at his house gig in Sawyer's Restaurant on 23rd Street on the near south side of Chicago that was right next door to a recording studio called P.S. Recording, situated just east of Prairie Avenue. Those really funky buildings in that block were built in 1883. And before it became Sawyer's, the rumor was that it had been Al Capone's secret hideout. Disappointedly, that whole strip of vintage buildings have long since been torn down. Donnie and I went back to his apartment and were talking about some ideas for my album, and he said he would be happy to go into the studio with me. I felt so honored to know him because he was already writing and arranging music, and in just a few months, he would be collaborating with Stevie Wonder and Roberta Flack, even though he thought his career was moving too slow and he wasn't getting anywhere. Like Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell before them, Donnie and Roberta Flack were extremely close friends, and their love for each other made for some really great albums. Since I play music by ear, I was a little anxious. But somehow Donnie was really gracious and made me relax sort of pulled me up onto his level somehow and said, no problem, Billy. We can just wing it and jam. I enjoy that. I know you can play because I saw you with Otis Rush. Wow, what an honor. As he put me at ease, I was delighted and had so much respect for all of them. Sam, Phil, and especially Donnie, who was such a soulful dude with so much talent he could improvise anything. Donnie wanted to work as much as possible to make money because, after all, he was now a new father and wanted to step up and enjoy his new responsibility. 
He told me he was planning a nice little birthday party for his firstborn daughter, Lala, and I was invited. He would often fall into these melancholy moods and talk about missing the boat as far as being recognized for his great work. A day late and a dollar short was his answer for a lot of questions. But he still tried to keep a positive attitude in spite of his disappointments. He used to say, one day my ship will come in, but for now I, I'm happy just playing the game. The only way I can fail is if I stop trying. One sweltering evening, we were doing a late night session, July 16th to be exact. The licks were hot and so was the thermostat in the studio. We got a little relief from the heat when Murray Allen, the engineer, stopped the session and said over the intercom, Hey guys, you might want to come in and see this. Come in the booth because live on TV they're getting ready to land on the moon. The four of us were surprised because musicians didn't really follow current events. So we went into the control room single file, grabbed a cold beer out of the studio fridge that tasted great because there was no air conditioning, and watched in awe as the lunar module touched down. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Unbelievable. Sammy didn't believe it said, this must be some kind of government hoax because there ain't no TVs on the moon. Come on, man. It took us weeks to finish my album, and during that time in the studio, I experienced a lot of joy and laughter and the greatness of these three legendary black musicians. More important than the music was the friendship I developed with them and the fact that they accepted me as their younger brother. This was my magic time. It made me believe that this white boy could learn real blues. My dream of becoming a valid blues player was unfolding because of this life-changing studio experience. Donnie Hathaway, Sam Lay, and Phil Upchurch made me believe that I was ready, ready to be a part of the blues. On the last night of recording, I went out of my way to thank Donnie and hand him his final check. He was kind enough to record all those long midnight recording sessions for only gas money, as he put it. What a bargain for me. Not that the money was thin, but that I had been accepted by such a great musician. And he looked at the check and said, Thanks, Billy, but this check is all the thanks I need. You have no idea. In my eyes, Donnie was already a big star, but he was never satisfied with all his great musical accomplishments and recordings. They say the line between genius and insanity is very, very fine, and he had a lot on his plate. And in his eyes, he sometimes thought he was failing. But I said, no, it's how strong you bounce back. That's all that counts. I realized that he was always constant, always traveling in a straight line. And he was already prepared for success since he had the vision to graduate from music school and going only one direction, straight up. Not looking back, but forging toward the future, keeping reality in check by being careful not to ever be elated. If you love what you do, you're already successful. If you can visualize where you're going, then all your actions will lead to that dream. Sometimes before studio takes, Donnie used to say, almost like a little ritual, line of least resistance, lead me on. 
Keep your face toward the sunshine, and then the shadows will fall behind you. It's funny how life works sometimes, when things just seem to easily fall in your lap, and you wonder why that happened. Think about it. Why was I so honored to be involved and associated with such incredible blues royalty as I was in the recording studio? Was it because I wanted all of this so badly that I simply brought a positive mindset? And did everyone around me feel the same? All my actions logically put me on a road that only went one direction, forward. I never let the fear of losing be greater than the excitement of winning. But will I ever know? Well, all I know for sure is that I'm extremely grateful to have been surrounded by people that could only lift me up. I wrote this song for Donnie since he had dedicated his entire short life to music and never gave up. A song of strength and confidence. Somebody that knows where they're going. And to get there just keeps marching on, putting one foot in front of the other. So this one's for Donnie. This song is called, Ain't It Just About Time. I've been playing this game for a long, long, long time. I've been saying I'm gonna take what's mine. But uh, every time I take one step, I see I got one more yet. Well, when will this end? I think just about time. I've been singing my blues like it's going out of style. I've been shooting for the moon and I knew it might take a little while. I'm just a simple man. I'm doing the best I can. I sound like a plan. I think it's just about time. Now it's about time Yeah, just about time Now it's about time Yeah, just about time Then my ship coming Just over the horizon Got my best foot forward Am I sad side in? I confess, I can feel it's gonna happen, yeah. I've been driven on up from the bottom rung, and I, I finally won, and it's just about time. And it's about time. Yeah, it's just about time Now it's just about time Yeah, just about time That my ship come in Just over the horizon That my ship come in Just over the horizon Oh, oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. 
more about Billy Pruitt at BillyPruitt.com or find him on Facebook. This podcast was produced at RocketChicago.com.